This week's episode is brought to you by the Talk Buster podcast. Every episode, Chris Chipman and a guest reminisce of their time working for Blockbuster. Now, even if you've never worked for a Blockbuster, I guarantee you'll find the stories both hilarious and relatable. One of my personal favorite stories was when he had a guest retelling his time of working at a porn shop the day before Christmas when they were just packed to the gills. So, listen to the Talk Buster podcast on all your favorite platforms today. and welcome to Geeks with Shields, your home for all things good and nerdy in this The Darkest Timeline. I'm Lord Commander Ulrich, and with me as always is... His shield brother, Axel Wright. How's it going this week? It is going. I went and found this... Uh, well, my mother found this used furniture and sporting goods store, and I found a $50, like, old exercise bike. It's nice and tiny. It's probably only, like, 40 pounds. Not electric or any of that. Biggest thing was I wanted it small and light. And so then, like, um, now when I'm playing D&D online, I just sit on the cycle and cycle. Last night, I sat on it and cycled for, like, three and a half hours while I played Mass Effect. Um, less than that, probably. But still, uh, you know, get a little bit of exercise and... It's nice. Uh, other than that, my, my day-to-day was stressful. How have you been? Tired. Very, very tired. Last couple weeks at work have been 12-hour shifts, and oh boy, I do not like those. Fun, fun. Yeah, and the world's literally on fire, but we're not here to talk about that. We are your escape from the darkest timeline, not a reminder that we live in the darkest timeline. Okay, moving on. Yes, moving on to our Patreon hangout, our Patreon shout-out. Wrong one. Uh, this is the little part of the show where we talk about the people that make this show possible. They are Pam Galley, Marky, Chris Chipman, River Galley, Krug, Reed D, Stephen, and Arthur Crane. Now, if you'd like to join that illustrious legion and help produce this show week to week, just head on over to patreon.com forward slash geeks with shields. For only 25 cents an episode, you get all sorts of great perks. I like your use of the word legion there. Seems appropriate. Yeah, I've been trying to remember to work that one in because it does feel very fitting for us. It helps that I was just watching clips from the new Harley Quinn show and they keep talking about the Legion of Doom. (laughs) Nice. I want a Legion of Doom. That show is awesome, by the way, if you haven't seen it. That's what I've heard. I'm not quite ready to take a dive on yet another streaming service for one with minimal content at the moment. Now, the HBO bundle could tip me. No, I, I totally, I totally buy that. Like I said, I've just been watching clips on YouTube. So, yeah, that one I was not expecting that to be as good as it apparently turned out to be. Anyway, for what we're actually talking about, ah, yes, this is going to be a fun one. Now, sure. the episode of this may be movies we hate that others love, but I don't think we really hate any of these movies. There's only a handful yeah. of movies I still truly hate. These are movies I'm more ambivalent towards or disgruntled at. Yeah, no, that's everyone a good... else loves. No, that's a good way, because I don't hate either of the movies I was going to talk about. I just don't I think really care The for them. Room is one of the last few movies I hate. And that's last... more because of the culture and fandom that has emerged around it and how terrible Tommy Wiseau is as a person. I'm not going into that. Yeah. And the last movie I hated was Crimes of Grindelwald, but that wasn't very well liked by the populace, so it doesn't qualify here. <laughs> Ooh, Pacific Rim Uprising. I still hate Pacific Rim Uprising. 
I dislike it. I don't hate it. But no one anyway. loves those movies. We're not here to talk about those movies. We're here to talk about movies that you're all going to go, wait, you guys don't like that movie? And we're going to go, yeah, unfortunately. But hey, this is our opinion. You can have your opinion. There's no need to yell at us. All right. You, well, go ahead. and It's the internet. Whatever. I don't care. <laughs> so You don't have to moderate the comments. <laughs> that's perfectly legitimate as an argument. Anyway, me or you first. Uh... I'll go ahead and dive in headfirst on one that I'm sure it's going to get lots of well-reasoned comments. And this is one you know my opinions on. We've argued about at length. That's Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Literally one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah. So I rewatched this movie for the first time since it came out to see if my opinion has softened or changed or maybe my... Elder years have given me a new insight into this movie. and It would kind of do the opposite. This is a movie about youth and for youth. Oh, yeah. I will say this. There are more things I like about this movie in that it is shot incredibly beautiful. I don't think Edgar Wright can make a bad-looking movie. Yeah, Edgar Wright's also one of my favorite filmmakers in general. No one edits like Edgar Wright, I gotta say. No, it's very well-paced, and it looks good. And I've always always thought that... Garbage people. I've always well, yes, but that's part of the point. But anyway, I've always thought that a big reason why Scott Pilgrim didn't work for you was that it's very specifically around an aesthetic and a scene of uh, a type of people that, in the real world, you are very, very against. Oh yeah, no, I I realized that just when this movie started, and it's like, man, there's a lot of good to this movie. Like, oh, I like that opening, and oh, this is an interesting world. And then they started talking. And it's like, oh, yeah, you people. I remember now. God, I hate this movie. And no, I don't want to say hate because I don't really have any feelings towards except exhaustion and exasperation because on paper, I should really enjoy this movie. Everybody else did. This was a huge hit when it came out. We all loved it. And I was the one guy going, no. And now I'm watching it again and I'm just yelling, oh, this is unpleasant and uncomfortable and annoying. And I see so many new things that I hate. I actually just watched it again like two weeks ago at a party, and I still love it. So, (laughs) Here's a fun fact. I have not read the comics, but I have had a complete breakdown of the comics of this to the point that, one, I want to read the comics, and two, I think the comics are a much better version of this story. And as someone who owns the comics and also the game and basically got my hands on any Scott Pilgrim stuff I can get on... This amazes me that you say that because I feel like the movie is a pretty damn good adaptation, especially tonally, of what the comic is going for. I think, like, I'll start going into my problems with this now, and where I think I haven't read the comics, so maybe when I read the comics, it'll be a different thing. But I'm interested. I don't think so. (laughs) Whereas before, it was just like, no, that movie was terrible, and I will admit, the ending to the comic, as I recall, is really weird and just no. It is, I actually. I prefer the uh, the movie ending myself. So, Oh, the movie ending's got its problems, too, but I'll get back to that. And the one thing I feel like the comic does better that this movie fails to is it gives Scott and Ramona character instead of just what they are, which is shallow, boring, terrible people. I mean, I disagree with all of what you're saying, but this is your I know, bit, so you go ahead. We about this at length, and I'm sure people will pop into the comments and go, but... Like, care. okay, example. Um, saying that they're shallow, terrible people is a forthright. And what I mean by that is Scott Pilgrim starts off as a shallow, 
terrible, horrible person who basically has to have uh, that beaten out of him. So Ramona is jaded, but I would not say she's shallow. Ramona or, is a manic pixie dream girl to a T. I would argue that she is not. I would say that someone like the girl from Yes Man is more of the uh, oh, manic yeah, pixie dream girl no. to a T. Because the, the major thing that Ramona lacks that makes her a manic pixie dream girl is optimism. Ramona is literally a super pessimistic, jaded, dark figure. Yes, what, we don't have a term for that, so we use Manic Pixie Dream Girl. I'm saying though that that is like an extremely important part of what the Manic in Manic Pixie Dream Girl represents that she doesn't that she doesn't represent. Okay, then she's a Pixie Dream Girl. Does that work better for you? I mean, yeah, she's literally a Pixie Dream Girl, but she'd be like a, a depressing Pixie Dream Girl. <laughs> And I, I do agree, because in watching this thing, I think, oh, Scott does have a character development. What he lacks is a character arc. He starts a terrible person, and he ends going, hey, I was a terrible person, and I'm not a terrible person anymore. And I just like, oh, no, 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 this still doesn't work for me. And I don't like the ending. I don't like that Scott and Ramona end up together, because that's not the message that should be taken away. They should both go, wow, we are both incredibly damaged people, and we really don't have anything resembling a relationship, or compatibility, or chemistry, or 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 anything that would make this compelling. See, I see chemistry, and I totally see it as more like the idea of two damaged people helping each other through their damage, because they'd already helped each other through a lot of their damage, but... I don't Fair see enough. any of that. There is, I, I know there is levels to this movie that other people love, and I just, I do not get it. Ramona is a bland, boring character. Scott is a toxic leech that no one would have in their lives and would put up with their bullshit. I don't know, and that's why I, I get on this one. I think Scott, uh, no, 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 Michael Sarah. There we go. Getting confused. Was terrible casting for this because I see no reason why anyone would still be friends with him. Uh, that's actually why he's perfect casting because Scott is supposed to be that. This is why I'm saying that I think you reading the comic is not going to help because that is a big part of the comic too, is that Scott is a irrepentant asshole who has to get, has to deal with that essentially by. Yeah, everything. but I can like, see that as a character. That's fine. But I do not see that in Michael Sarah. I just see that it is Michael Sarah playing Michael Sarah with a bunch of other shit piled on top to make him even less likable. Why would anyone keep this in his life? He's not charming. He's not attractive. He's not charismatic. He's not funny. There's no redeeming qualities to this person that is the protagonist of this film. How about no redeeming qualities? Uh, Scott Strikes has always struck me as, I have had people in my life who are like that. And they're, usually it's a matter of like, it's like a, I'm watching that 70s show right now, and he strikes me as something like a Kelso kind of character, where it's like, yeah, we're friends, and, you know, we have a good time sometime because you can be, you know, a decent person when you're not being a total shithead. So, and I've got I actual people in my Kelso life like that. loyalty, though. I mean, that's Kelso. He's kind of like the family dog. I mean, that's fair. And... I don't see that with Scott. Like, and that's that's my other problem with this movie. And I know it disappears so far up its own ass so far and revels in that. And that's why people like this, is if this is your scene, this movie is preaching to you. This movie is for you. To anybody on the outside, it's going, what a pretentious piece of shit. Well, not about that far, but yeah. Than I should be, but... 
again, I went into this movie the first time really wanting to like it. You loved it. Movie Bob loved it. This was a video game movie. It looked cool. And it's just... Now, I will say that whole, the idea of what you, I think you're touching on there is something that is a matter of perspective. Because to me, it's that Scott Pilgrim as a movie and as a property in general doesn't hold back at all. It knows what it is, it knows what it's going to be, and it doesn't care about being silly or goofy or over-the-top about it. It just is it. And that's the kind of thing that I feel like it can be interpreted as pretension. But to me, it feels more like uh, confidence. Pretension would come from if it felt like the movie was trying to talk down or the property was trying to talk down to someone about it being itself but it doesn't strike me as that ever like nothing in the movie or the comic or the game has ever struck me as the movie saying or as saying like this is who you should be and if you're not this then you're wrong or we're better than you in fact i've always felt it more like the other way around like hey people are shit here's a bunch of fun people who are also shit but they're going through stuff that's probably similar to what you've gone through so we're gonna wrap it up in a nice like cool bow because it's depressing but also it can be fun so maybe but if i had to describe this movie in one word it would be hipster i guess i mean it has that I'd... same self-assured confidence that it is so funny and so hilarious and hey we got fun pac-man facts and hey we've got obscure video game things and boy aren't we just the best thing ever because we and make you know all these references. that one I don't necessarily disagree with you. I've not ever been a fan of hipster culture in general, but I know you've like actively hated it. So to me, it's like that part of the movie um, or the, the property in general, like which largely is, has to do with how they talk about music and things like that. But that stuff's basically been around in movies since like high fidelity, but that only just not didn't interest me. I feel like to you, it was an active source of aggression. Yeah, no, I just, like I said, I went back watching this, re-watching this, going, maybe now that I'm older and I've developed my film palette more, I will see what people like about this. And coming out of it, I feel like one of those people that looks at us when we talk about Watchmen going, really? You guys like this movie? And you aren't repulsed by the characters? Okay, I'm kind of worried about <laughs> it now. Yeah. This is my first glimpse of what it must be like on the other side when we go. And another reason the comedian's a fascinating character and people are slowly backing away from me. No, that's, I feel that's like a good one talks about Scott Pilgrim. No, that's actually a really good uh, comparison. I would say Scott isn't quite comedian level, but he's a similar kind of thing where like I find him interesting and fascinating because of the sheer terribleness of him and also the fact that similar to your opinion with the comedian, I can recognize myself and his terribleness and that breeds introspection and that's kind of that's like the stuff that's really interesting to me and i think that's why i don't like the ending is the ending feels like a reward for scott and he does not deserve a reward he has not done anything in this movie to warrant that reward i don't know about that I, again that comes down to what is the movie trying to say and i think a big part at least for me and i'm not saying you have to follow this but at least for me what the movie is doing a lot is that scott pilgrim is biggest problem is essentially he as you put it he's a leech so he uh, survives of other people. He is needy, extremely codependent, and selfish, essentially. But what he has to come to throughout the, the movie is to own up to his faults, admit his mistakes and the terrible shit he did to the people he damaged most, learn to uh, take responsibility and respect for himself, and put others before himself. And once he's able to do that, he's able to overcome 
Gideon specifically by working with someone else, letting other people into his life after accepting all these things. At that point, that sort of person who is no longer the needy, clingy, uh, codependent person is now the kind of person who can uh, help a freely baggage-less Ramona get through her jadedness because she needs some optimism in her life, essentially. <laughs> I, I, I always I've always had a problem with people who are like you should end up with knives at the end. Oh God, no! No, knives, knives was literally yeah, and also knives was literally him like using her to make himself feel good. It had nothing to do with her as a person. Anyway, point is, if you don't see any of that or don't agree with that, that's fine. But that's what someone like me who likes the movie sees. Yeah, no. My final point, and then we'll move on to your choice. And the reason Scott does not deserve to end up with anybody is yes, he's made all these character growths and these great things, but guess what? It's not over. Realizing you are a shit person is not the same thing as stop being a shit person. And you don't get to go, hey, I've been a shit person. I'm going to change that. And the universe goes, hey, here's a reward. It should be like you finally deserve a girl like Ramona. But guess what? You don't deserve Ramona. And guess what else? You two really know nothing about each other, have had no real moments of connectivity that I can see as a viewer that says, yeah, this deserves to be a couple. I think it should end with he realizes he's a shit person, he's going to get better, and Ramona realizes that she's finally free of this baggage, so she can go find somebody, and Knives gets to have her ending because she's better than Knives. Everyone needs to realize they are, they are better than Scott, and that Scott is not yet at a place that he deserves this reward and that's its own thing of how women are treated as rewards and we're not going to go into that one at all yeah i actually don't see it as him getting a reward i see it more as him and ramona helping each other work through their shit together which is why that's that ending works really well for me by the way side fact uh it's not necessarily a full thing but um because of how the comic and the game and the movie well mostly the comic go about it it's generally accepted that uh knives and kim end up together <laughs> Just, okay, good for them. I mean, there's a lot more problematic things I noticed in this rewatch, but this is not the Ulrich rants about Scott Pilgrim for two hours. No, but it was, oh, a, it was a way to... Um, and you are free to badger me as much... Or not badger, you are free to counter my badgering as much as I'm trying to counter your badgering. Because, well, to be fair, Scott Pilgrim's like my third or fourth favorite movie, period. So, of course, I'm going to try to counter you. But, uh, and I know at least one of the, my movies is one you really like, so I'm going to go with that first, which is uh, Avatar. I have never liked Avatar, and I mean James Cameron's Avatar. I'm not talking like, you know, Last Ever and everything, because no one likes that movie. But James Cameron's, Ava James Cameron's Avatar is literally like, one of the highest grossing movies of all time. It was like, what, number two behind Titanic for a long time and now number three behind Titanic and Endgame No, or it's number two because it was number one because it passed Titanic during its theatrical run and it is now number two behind Endgame. And for okay. the record, I'm, I'm going to come to your defense here. Everyone's saying that Axel's getting on the hate train for Avatar because it's really soured now for whatever reason. No, I was there when this movie came out, and he proudly and loudly said, no, I don't like Avatar, and everyone yelled at him for not liking it. Oh, Yeah, it, my it, first it, year of college was was a ton of my roommates being like, why don't you like Avatar? Yeah. I'll uh, tell you why I don't like Avatar. I was in that group of like, why don't you like Avatar? And he's like, why does everyone have to ask me that? I, just, it's, oh, I don't like it, okay? And for no, I did not let him not dislike it. 
Yeah, and for the record, this can be summed up pretty simply. I'll go into details in a second. But my main problem with Avatar as a movie is that it's nothing but pure spectacle. It, it yes, it has a story that is supposed or is basically the same kind of story that they've told in these the jokes have all been made yeah fern gully dances with wolves whatever they were all just as obvious back then as they are now i don't know why it took everyone so long to start really making them but they were making them when it came out yeah but not in like a negative way <laughs> whereas yeah, i was they were and then people said just shut up it's okay to have hollow pretty art yeah and that's the thing is to me i've literally always said this is always heard me say this many times avatar is a set of very shiny keys that's what it is. And I am not entertained by shiny keys. And that's, I guess it's a little unfair because I do love spectacle sometimes. It, it depends on the type of spectacle. Like Pacific Rim is basically nothing but spectacle and I adore Pacific Rim. How come I don't like Avatar? Well, you could chalk it up also that the first time I saw it, I saw it in 3D and I had a headache leaving. And that was fucking miserable. So that made you know, I maintain experience. that your negative experience may have colored your take on this movie. Possibly. But another big thing, and this is actually a lot more important. I realized this a while back. If I don't care about the characters, about what they're doing, even in a spectacle. Like, I use Pacific Rim as an example. I actually think Charlie Hunnam is really compelling in that. Is Charlie Hunnam a good actor? Not particularly, but I like him in that movie. Idris Elba's in it, and he's awesome. I don't know what the name of the, the girl is in that movie, but I love her role too. And the fact that I care about those characters means I care more about what they're doing. And the only character in Avatar I give any shit about is Sigourney Weaver. That's because it's goddamn Sigourney Weaver. How can I not care about Sigourney Weaver? But everyone else, the main guy is like, to me, the ultimate example not ultimate like but a, a such a good example of bland military guy they, you see that more often in video games now than movies but like this was before the, the big boon of of that and i could recognize it then i was like you just seem like every character from from black hawk down or three kings or saving private ryan that wasn't tom hanks <laughs> it's like i've seen this character so much and usually if they're good it's because they have some sort of like charismatic mm, twist to them like like george clooney and three kings um you're gonna right catch movie. shit for that uh saving private ryan comment uh saving private ryan was my father's favorite movie period and i um I'm terrified of Saving Private Ryan, but I think it's a great, literally one of the greatest movies ever made. I'm just saying, so, you cannot say that all those characters are disposable and, you know, forgettable because they all have great, unique uh, personalities and there's some awesome performances in there. And you just lumped them in with Jake Sully, which is the name of the guy from Avatar, who, yeah, really is just bland, forgettable. Well, here's what I'll say. That motivation. He's like, he's like all of them without their twists, is what I was trying to say. Um, okay, sorry good. if that, that, that makes more across. sense. I'm just saying, you don't want to go kicking the Saving Private Ryan nest. I I wouldn't do that. <laughs> uh, for the record, that movie, the scene with the the Nazi stabbing the dude, like that haunted my nightmares for. That's a rough scene. Anyway, so back to uh, uh, Jake Sully, yeah, and I again, I don't, I'm not claiming the guy's a good or a bad actor. I have no idea. Uh, I don't know him enough things, but that character, I just don't care about him at all and the 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 navi is that what they're called right yes yeah they look fine i guess but it never struck me as particularly 
Like, I was more impressed by shit that happened in The Fifth Element, you know? See, that's interesting, because I'm still one of the people that really enjoys Avatar. I've not been soured in the... I think it's almost a decade. Yeah, it's, it's about a decade since it came out. Um, I was big on this movie because, one, it it, it looked good. It's a, it is a beautiful-looking movie. I think it is still a beautiful-looking movie. But it had that thing that is always a sell for me and that it has a complex, fully flushed out world. And I'm a, you know me, I'm a sucker for a well-built world with like, ah, this has lore and more stuff that didn't make it to the screen. Interesting. You've named all the plants and animals. Oh, cool. So yeah, that was like, okay, I'm, I'm here for this. And that's, that's the kind of the thing I'm trying to get at is that for me, character trumps everything. Like, uh, the thing we talked, we were talking all this thing about Scott Pilgrim. People are like, "What about it's just a spectacle?" It's like, "Well, I actually care about all these characters, which is why I care about the spectacle they're doing." Avatar is the other way for me, where I care about none of these characters except the one who gets the least screen time. So I don't care about the spectacle they're putting on. Yeah, no, I, I am not going to try and defend this movie because it's kind of hard to defend. It is a big, beautiful oil painting that doesn't have a lot going on in it. I mean, the story. Here's, here's one thing. Here's a. Here's another positive and also negative thing I want to give this movie. Uh, Stefan Lang kicks ass, As he but also, yeah, I, I don't know. It's just like I think that he is a bright spot in the movie, and I just feel like his character is too generic like he's doing when he gets to just talk about like what Pandora did to him. That's what I'm interested. In, but when he's basically just a you know, psycho military guy trying to take over. I, I don't know. I lost interest in him. So it's it's a weird up-down kind of thing going on. Yeah, I will say. I said it then. I'll say it today. It is really weird how much energy and effort went into building the world for this movie and the backstory for the characters and everything else that it felt like plot was just this secondary thing. And here's the thing. Let me, let me put this up. It is perfectly okay to just jack your plot from another movie. That's not inherently a bad thing. Lion King did it for Hamlet, and both of those things are amazing. So it's just that you have to bring something else that is particularly interesting. And for Avatar, the thing they brought is this world and this spectacle, and that doesn't do it for me. I don't actually begrudge anyone else who really likes this. Like, I never once try to tell people, like, you shouldn't like it for these reasons. It just never worked for me. And for some reason, that fucking couldn't get through people's head. I'm cursing a lot. But, uh, like, like you said, I, am, I, I got asked that question more than, like, any other question in college. It's like, oh, what, you don't like Avatar? Why? Why don't you like Avatar? Like, I'm allowed to not like this movie. <laughs> not at the time, No. 2010 we were very set in our ways we didn't like twilight and we all liked avatar those were the rules and 10 years on we're all like oof man we we died on some pointless hills yeah i do think it's funny that while the twilight movies are still terrible people have been like yeah but all of us were also terrible in regards to it <laughs> so. it, it was it didn't hurt us it wasn't as bad as we all made it out to be no we, it, it, it's time we've all kind of grown and gone wow we really got angry over something that we had no reason to get angry over there was legitimate things we should have been angry about and we're just like no this vampire movie is dumb and i don't like it and yeah. Hey, you know, it's funny. I feel like uh, I feel like I should have something to say about Zoe Saldana because she has made a career at this point of being colored, <laughs> like green or blue, or you know, I think it's yeah. pretty cool. 
So, uh, but again, I didn't even realize this was, like to me, Zoe Saldana popped on the scene with Gamora, and I know that's like unfair because she's had quite a career before that, but she's playing a role that, in my opinion, is almost thankless in Avatar. Like she's basically a sh- just the shaman character, even though she's not actually the shaman she's character. She's the Pocahontas but... character. Yeah, exactly, and I. That's all I can see, and I feel like there's just not anything else going on there. It's like it's like you talking about how in Scott Pilgrim these characters are really terrible, and that's what turned you off. It's like in this case, I don't have that. I like terrible is something I can latch onto. I feel like there's just nothing here to for me to latch onto. It's just a blandness, and to me, uh, bland is worse than bad. I'd rather have a movie that I dislike. Because then I can rant and rave about it, see Crimes of Grindelwald, than a movie that I just feel nothing about. Which, in the absence of the fans, is how I would feel about Avatar. The only reason I list it as a movie I don't like is because I was like, this is a movie I feel nothing about, and no one will stop bugging me about it. Yeah, I get that. And fun fact, I mean, a lot of people, you know, we made the, they made the Pocahontas comparison then, they're making the Pocahontas comparison now. It's not actually where Cameron got the idea. Cameron actually got the idea when he was visiting in the rainforest for a is an activist group that was trying to save this uh, river valley from being you know flooded by some company and the all the tribal chiefs of that local area were there for a war council in full gear they were going to go up against the brazilian government with spears and slings and stuff and he thought wow this is really powerful how do i translate this into a message that more people would get and understand and that's where he drew his inspiration for avatar from yeah and you know what? If it got anyone to like be somewhat more environmentally conscious or whatever, great, wonderful. <laughs> it just didn't do anything for me. So yeah, no. I ultimately, it's 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 still a fun movie to watch. I don't think that will ever go anywhere. It still looks beautiful. It's still interesting. And apparently, Cameron's just going to crank out sequels till the end of time. I mean, the early concept art for the sequel looks really cool. And hopefully he has a new and interesting idea to tell with this one. Because, again, it's pure spectacle. And for some people, that'll carry a long way. Others, like Axel's just like, it's pretty sure, but in, I, I, there's nothing else here. And everyone's like, yeah, you're not going to enjoy the movie. Put, you want me to put a big target on my back? Uh, in my response to the whole, I think your first viewing really just, you know, colored your opinion about this because I watched it in 3D with a headache. Uh, I could understand that, except around that same time, uh, I guess a couple years earlier, but I went and saw uh, Cloverfield at like 2 o'clock in the morning when I was falling asleep. And that was a um, uncomfortable, physically uncomfortable time. But I came out of the movie thinking it was fine. Like, I still think Cloverfield is enjoyable even though my first experience uh, was physically my opinion is horrible. greatly sank on that movie i never thought it was great or anything i actually was pissed off that it wasn't a godzilla film like i wanted it to be but i'm just saying that i think that that was fine and my i don't think pe- like my one piece of advice for avatar and i did this back then go and enjoy a huge sandwich and then watch this movie the colors really pop okay anyway <laughs> let's move on to your next one Ulrich. Ah, my next one. Again, if you've been listening to this podcast for any amount of time and you know me, you know what movie I'm going to talk about here. And I almost didn't put it because people have kind of come around to my way of viewing it. And if you're still in the dark, it's Iron Man 3, the first Marvel movie that broke me. Uh, I, re- I kind of really don't want to talk with you about this because these conversations, uh, Ulrich and I can generally talk about almost anything. 
and we can make it fun. But this conversation got really not fun for a while, and I just started letting him go without responding. Yeah, I was I was super, super, super pissed about this movie when I first saw it. And I, I swore off Shane Black for a while, and that meant no watching Predator. And for those of you who've watched Predator, you know how hard that is. I have since rescinded that ban, but I have not really softened on this movie. The one thing I will say is more people have kind of come going, yeah, it's a good Shane Black movie, but it's not a good Marvel movie. And I'm like, oh, really? That, that's what you think? You're finally coming around to see it my way? How interesting. Kind of like, I don't know. No, I'm not, not going to talk about that one. That, 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 that's internet cancer. All right. I mean, I'm of the opinion that uh, Iron Man 3 is better than Iron Man 2 and has a better third act than Iron Man 1, but I still prefer Iron Man 1. So My problems with this are numerous, and of course I'm going to address the big one that everyone goes, well, you just don't like the Mandarin. Yeah, because that was a lazy cop-out. See, it's funny because in my opinion, it's actually a brilliant twist as opposed to what could have been a lazy cop-out and also a very uncomfortable lazy cop-out. I feel like it actually was really intelligent, but... Did you like Ben Kingsley's performance when he was playing the Mandarin? I liked all of Ben Kingsley's performance. Okay, well, we'll get to that. But that's my point. Everyone goes, well, it, it just wouldn't have been as good. Like, bull fucking shit. Okay, we were all going, holy shit, Ben Kingsley's scary. Holy shit, he's awesome. Holy shit, he's playing the Mandarin. This is really cool. This is really creepy. I can't wait to see this, you know, reach its, you know, crescendo. And I get it. The whole Ten Rings Mandarin magic was kind of tricky to do. But you know what's not interesting? Tony Stark fights a business rival that he screwed in the past, and now it's biting him in the ass. Yeah, that's fine. That's fair. So Guy, yeah, Guy, Pierce, is the, Guy Pierce is the least interesting thing about that movie. I there's a joke I love. It's like, so you have a twist. Do you know what the answer is not? Guy Pierce. Guy Pierce is never the answer. Isn't that like a joke about Memento or something? Could be. I just know everyone kind of made it when talking about the Mandarin twist. Like, if you want to have a twist, that's great. But here's the thing: your twist needs to be better than the setup. And for me, the set the twist was not better. It's like, wow, Ben Kingsley's playing this really interesting character. He's really scary and menacing. And the twist is, no, he's a drunken actor, and the real guy is a white dude that Tony Stark screwed over, appropriating East Asian culture as his own for, no, 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 this is dumb. Okay, go back to the Mandarin. You chickened out because you didn't know how to make it work. And even the whole, we can't do Mandarin because he's racist as hell in the originals. True. So you ground it in, you know, Middle Eastern, real, you know, terrorist conflicts, which is tied to contemporary Tony Stark, full story arc, magic versus science. By the way, I'm betting that joke comes from Memento, just because I, I had to double check this because I haven't seen Memento uh, in a long time, and I only barely remember it, but that's Guy Pierce, and Memento is crazy twist movie, so anyway, it's probably where it comes from. Probably. I like I'm not gonna go on and on and on about the Mandarin thing because everyone else has. Marvel has uh, even gone to the point yeah. that Marvel's like, yeah, we, we, we kinda wasted an opportunity there. Again, I'll say that the uh guy appears appropriating Asian like with the tattoos and stuff, I can agree that that's uncomfortable. Um, especially because you know, there aren't enough char well, characters 
that's a difficult one for me to talk about. But yes, I agree with that in general. I still like Trevor Slatter Slater. I can't pronounce his name. I like the the idea that because uh, you talk about the 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 punch or the the twist has to be better than the setup. And for me, it's not better, but it's not worse either. It's different. It's a completely like it's a left hook of a of a twist of a. There is no way you saw this coming at all, and that is just amazing from a movie standpoint. First, you know, someone watches a lot of films. That, but to me, at the time and to now, it feels like a cop out. They weren't, they didn't want to commit to doing it because they were still very scared of magic. If you go back and watch early MCU, magic is very scary. They don't talk about it. They don't want to. It wasn't until Doctor Strange is like, no, no, magic is here and it's real. Deal with it. Everything's well, it's science. Even the Mandarin was technically yeah. science, but you know, you're not. You're not wrong. Yeah, that and that yeah, that you're absolutely is. correct about. That's that's the thing me and Oliver talk about many times. How like it it does kind of suck, and also it's kind of cool that that they finally did it. But it took Thor three movies to like just be like, yeah, we're gods, deal with it. Yeah, no, we we had a whole ramble. It's like, why won't they just let Thor a call himself a god because that's what he technically is, and let him have science? Because also in, in the comics, he said his most like famous things are saying like, I am the god of thunder, like that in the word mighty. But he says that stuff a lot. <laughs> so, yes. But anyway, back to, back to Iron Man 3. So yeah, the point is, we can, we can both agree the Mandarin is an extremely controversial thing. I would say that one thing you have to give it is the fact that we're still talking about it means that it was... Again, I, I'd say that something that makes you angry is better than something that you don't feel anything about. So, oh, yeah. so that's, why, yeah. that's why I think it's not lazy. That's why I think it was like... Yeah, you took a risk. You stood on. You made a decision that you knew was going to piss off a large portion of your audience. That's why I don't think it's lazy and, and a cop out. I think they purposely took a gamble. I'm not saying that's a cop out. I'm saying up to that point, very bold. But what they didn't stick the landing, and because you didn't stick the landing, it just looks bad from there on out. Okay. Anyway, let's go on to the other things that I know. Okay, other things because everyone goes on about the Mandarin. I was not enjoying this movie like the minute I started watching it theaters because I went to this theater midnight screening. Wow, this is the first movie post Avengers. What are we gonna see? Oh man, Tony has PTSD. That's that's really interesting. And oh, he's he's over it. Okay. Well, what was the point of that plot thread? That was kind of dumb. Oh, man, they're introducing all these cool new suits of armor from the comics. Wow, that's crazy, and they're just falling apart. Didn't in the last movie he take a hit from Thor, and he's built, like, 52 variants of these, and they all still suck? What's going on here? Yeah. No, that bugs me. The fact that... And a lot of people got mad at the Tony gives away his address to a terrorist. That part was cool. That part fit with Tony. That, kind of the I was going to say, like... That never bugged concept. me. I'm like, no, that, that fit. There's this concept that Iron Man 3 made me realize about, like, people were like, Tony's supposed to be the smartest man in the world. Why does he make a dumb decision, like, giving his, you know, address Smart out to a terrorist? Do dumb things. So, yeah, point one, just because he's intelligent when it comes to engineering and physics doesn't make him uh, the best maker of personal decisions. I mean, the fact he's an alcoholic shows that. Point two, he's a famous celebrity. Do you think him giving out his address is information that someone couldn't just Google? <laughs> So I will say, post-Avengers, and he's building all these suits, no real home defense system felt kind of weird, but whatever, hand wave that one away. Uh, this is a big one that has, you know, defined our disagreements in movies, and I did not like the tone. I did not like the, I, I didn't laugh at the jokes, and I wasn't laughing at the jokes, it was like a needle the entire movie going, ha ha, you're supposed to laugh, 
but that wasn't funny. But everyone else is laughing. That's nice. That wasn't funny. That was dumb. And it kept going and going and going. And you would, you, it's easy to say, though, that humor is literally like the most subjective thing. Oh, I agree. I, I'm just saying so. reasons I don't like this. The humor doesn't work for me at all. And I like Shane Black humor. Shane Black's typically a pretty funny guy. Predator, again, that's a – he had himself on set to do punch-ups. No, the guy can write. Just It didn't work for Iron Man 3. And, of course, the big one, and this is a divide a lot of people. This is one I just went, wait a second, this is what you're doing. And a lot of people are like, oh, this is so bold. I love it. Was Iron Man is not in his suit for the majority of the movie. Yeah. Potentially, this could have been interesting. Okay. I wish we'd have seen more of him doing the, like, I make makeshift stuff with my science knowledge. But we basically got to see, like, one two-minute scene of it. So. Uh-huh. And it's, the rest of it is uh, Robert Downey Jr. running around in a tracksuit. That's not interesting. Aiden, I mean, I find Robert Downey Jr. basically do dominates the screen. So, But yes, I know what you mean. Yeah. I, I, I came to see Iron Man. Iron Man is in because he's got the suit. And, you know, you take him out of the suit. Cool. Let's have him build a new suit. Let's have him, you know, really do this technology. But it doesn't. So that's boring now so i'm not laughing at the jokes i'm not entertained by what's going on and then we get to this big twist that i've been excited for and it's like no we're not doing the man it's too weird and hard and you're dumb for liking it that idea and then the movie's saved by gwyneth paltrow in a sports bra yeah Yeah. that ending yeah uh also we gotta talk about just because i don't want to talk about it but you can't bring up iron man a full iron man 3 discussion and not say uh you brought by the kid right i have no problem with the kid but bothered you right no, the kid never bothered me. All right, cool. Then we can move on. Kid doesn't bother us. <laughs> I think the ultimate thing, like the thing that bugs me so much about Iron Man 3, I think if I can sum it up, is there was so many cool comic concepts at play in this movie that just got thrown away and never used again. It haven't been used again, I'll say. But at the time, I feel like they were never going to use them again. I mean, we had AIM introduced, and that was just kind of a throwaway line. We had Extremist introduced, that was just kind of throwaway. We had Mandarin, thrown away. Iron Patriot, thrown away. You know, I will say that as someone who's had this conversation with you more often than I actually care to admit, uh, I can tell you that just listening to you, I think you have softened up. I think you've gone from vehement loathing to just, like, disappointment that's what it sounds like you're, to me is you're at a stage where this movie is just a colossal disappointment for you and that's oh, yeah. fine and part of that's age and part of it's just i don't get mad about movies as much anymore but ultimately the one thing i will always say that iron man 3 did for me is it gave me the ability to go into a marvel movie going this might suck and that's okay because the next one will be good that's true like because <laughs> what i saw marvel doesn't be I was writing the high of Avengers. Like, that was just the greatest movie ever. Marvel can do no wrong, and this movie looks awesome. We're getting the Mandarin. It's written by Ben Kingsley, and it's going to be cool. And then I went through it, and I went, that was, that was, that was not, guess what? The world didn't end. I enjoyed yeah, like, For the Dark World. And it's like, wow, <laughs> I can go into and watch these movies, and if they're bad, it's okay, because I'll enjoy the next one, or the universe doesn't fall apart, or Marvel will retroactively go back and go, oh, we wasted the Mandarin. Let's fix that. Let's let's, let's bring him in. No one's let's perfect. Let's cast a Chinese but, uh, actor this time. Yeah, no one's perfect, but no one has the batting average of Marvel. Like, they, they might, even when they come up with an Iron Fist, they will follow up with, you know, a, a Punisher. Like, yeah. So, yeah, no. If you've ever wondered why Ulrich hates Iron Man 3, 
there you go. That is the short of it. And that is probably the most I really want to say about it, mainly because everyone's kind of coming around to it. Like a lot of people, like this was vehemently defended. Everyone drank the Marvel Kool-Aid. They can do no wrong. We've had a couple movies that missed for people. And I think people kind of softened up and going, you know, it's okay not to like one of these. And it's, it's not, and then maybe that, a lot of people that was Thor the Dark World. I still enjoy Thor the Dark World. For the record, Thor the Dark World is my least favorite Marvel movie, period. Oh, I, there's I a long list that come that. before that. I put both the Ant-Man movies beneath, beneath Thor the Dark World. Yeah, I, I mean, the Wasp bored me, but I love the first Ant-Man. But I like yeah, the visual the aesthetics dark. of, uh, or I like the set design of Thor the Dark World. It feels, I love they have male throw pillows. That was a nice touch. Anyway. Anyway, I'm not here to talk about Thor the Dark World because, as you established, there are actually many people who basically acknowledge that Thor the Dark World is usually in the bottom four. It's like Thor the Dark World, Incredible Hulk, Iron Man 2, like usually always at the bottom of people's lists. Oddly enough, though, you know what is at uh, the second to bottom of my list of Marvel movies? As in, I don't, I don't dislike it as much as I dislike Thor the Dark World. I don't even really dislike Thor the Dark World that much. It's it's fine. I just find it to be dull. But the... Actually, you know, think about it. Point is, Spider-Man Homecoming. I don't know the lead-in. Spider-Man Homecoming bothers me for a lot of reasons. And unlike Thor the Dark World, which actually has always had detractors, uh, Homecoming is a lot more like everyone was really into it. And I think a big reason why everyone was really into it simply was that The Amazing Spider-Man... And its sequel, I think, I never could sit through the sequel, but were, at least that first one was a fucking travesty. So I would not be surprised if the second one was. I had heard nothing good about it. So then afterward, anything that was just passable was going to be amazing. I think you're right, to a degree. I mean, I like Spider-Man Far From Home a lot more than you do, but I agree with you your mean, assumption actually, there. You mean Homecoming, because I actually like Far From Home. Yeah, sorry. No, I like more. I agree with your assumption. We all can, like, wow, those two really bad Spider-Man movies. And, like, hey, we got Peter Parker and Spider-Man balance pretty right, and Vulture's interesting. We're like, oh, hey, these can be good. Okay. So right off the bat, let's say, let me say, reasons why people like this movie that are obvious. One, Tom Holland is a great Spider-Man. We knew that in Civil War. He is a really fun uh, version of the character. He is charismatic as hell. He, he, uh, I know this sounds like it shouldn't be important, but the fact that he's so youthful is actually really cool because Spider-Man was basically the first solo superhero who was a kid. Before Spider-Man in the 60s, if you were a kid in a comic, you were a sidekick. That's just... Hello, Toro. Yeah, so, so to have that actually happen is pretty awesome, and Holland pulls it off really well. He feels very contemporary, but also feels like a, a good throwback to original Parker. Um, I like the fact that like, as you said, Michael Keaton kills it as Vulture. He is... Because it's fucking Michael Keaton, man. And, wow, I am really cursing. Um, I also love his design, but just like with uh, Doc Ock in Spider-Man 2, these are characters that in the comics were actually some of the least interesting Spider-Man villains, and then these movie versions are way more awesome. So, so yes, I get... I get why people did like Homecoming, but I came out of the movie. I went and saw that with uh, with with Stevie and my lady and uh, uh, Woonvog, and I came out of that. And I believe I Stevie was into it. He 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 liked it. Uh, I'm not gonna try to oversell it because he's generally not that into Marvel movies. Um, but he was more a fan of it, and I was, and I'm the big Spider Man fan. Like I've got a Spider Man bow tie. You know, it's not a big deal, but I, like Spider-Man is my favorite superhero, so maybe I expect more in Spider-Man movies, and that 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 really is what it comes down to. I just expect more because Spider-Man's important to me, and maybe that sounds 
selfish or ignorant or because homecoming is just it's it's candy it's similar to how i refer to avatar set of shiny keys homecoming is like like a snickers bar it's, it's all right um it's not even a candy i'm really that into it's can kind of be filling but it's not healthy in any way and it's just hollow <laughs> so like my problems with homecoming so most of them can be summed up by uh if you haven't seen high top films on youtube uh, his channel him talking about um homecoming sums up most of my problems with it oddly enough he hated far from home but i actually really liked far from home so i don't agree with him fully but his video on homecoming is pretty spot on example one thing he talks about at length is how this is a movie where consequences are meaningless there's no consequences for anything and Peter Parker as a character is one who's always been defined by consequences. A big part of the draw of Spider-Man's stories has always been that him choosing to be responsible, him taking on the responsibility that comes with his great power, results in his personal life going to shit. That, that's like the classic joke, right? Is like, but prom is tomorrow. That, yeah, that comes from the fact that Peter always had to choose being a superhero over the things he wanted to do because that's like the whole point of his story. But Homecoming, every time Peter makes a decision that results in uh, property damage or not being there for like his you know, uh, fellow debate mates, like those kind of things that in a normal Spider-Man story would result in Peter having to be like, you know, a depressed state, they just get, you know, shrugged off here. Like, oh, now it's fine. Oh, yeah, we'll welcome you back to the debate team. That's fine. Oh, yeah, don't worry about that shop getting blown up. It's, it's all good. Like, nothing goes wrong for him. At least nothing that should have any impact, or nothing that, yeah, these things should have impact, and they don't. And it makes everything feel like it doesn't matter, and it really should. I see that to a degree, but the whole third act is him facing consequences. No, I would not say that's him facing consequences. That is him... He almost dies. Like, there's that great moment when he's trapped under the rubble. No, no. The rubble moment does not work for a lot of... Because here's the thing. Spider-Man lifting the heavy thing is one of the most common but also important vignettes in Spider-Man stories. Because whenever it happens in a Spider-Man story, it is a metaphor for the thing that he is lifting up uh, as a person, his responsibility, the responsibility of being a hero. In this movie, the theme that this movie is trying to go for, and in some ways succeeds, is the idea that Spider-Man has to basically take on these responsibilities himself stop trying to uh rely on the avengers and tony stark thus the lifting the heavy objects is supposed to be him taking on that responsibility except it doesn't work primarily because he's already been taking on the responsibility himself literally a lot of the movie is him yes trying to get tony stark to pay attention but then he doesn't and then peter goes off and does the heroic thing anyway so at that point it has no it's not a moment it's just a yeah, here's the thing that he's already been doing and that will somehow kind of matter to this. You could also make the argument that it's supposed to be him going from uh, boy to man because he goes from like crying to lifting the heavy thing. Sure, that's fine. But again, he's already been stepping up, taking responsibility, doing the things that he put on his old suit because Tony took his suit and he didn't just scuttle away and be sad. He stepped up and took responsibility and tried to deal with the vulture even though his idol was like, I'm grounding you. He's already a man. This has... <sighs> See, I would argue that 
that moment is him realizing all that, that he hadn't quite made that connection yet. But that moment was him realizing, I have been thinking I have to do all these things and step up, but I already have been. I've already been doing these things, and I have this in me, and I can do this. That's how I interpret it, and that's, why I, that's one of the reasons I love that scene so much. Yeah, and he loses uh, his girlfriend. He has to face down almost killing the vulture, and he doesn't. I mean, it's not a perfect movie. See, to me, an example of the Spider-Man does the heavy lifting that fits it better is, and yes, comparing it to Sam Raimi's movies is really unfair because Sam Raimi's two two of his Spider-Man movies are two of my favorite movies, period. But like in the first movie, when Spider-Man has to uh, hold both Mary Jane and the children and put himself in danger, that is a lot more better like metaphor of literally putting himself in danger both for the woman he loves and for the people of the city. Like, that is putting them before himself and it, anyway so like that kind of thing really can really work again it's a it's a very popular vignette for Spider-Man for a reason it just doesn't work for me at all in homecoming additionally the fight with vulture bothers me because i feel like and again this is really just me that it doesn't matter there are like no stakes yeah, basically the stakes that the movie sets up is, hey, here's this guy Vulture. He's not a great guy. He's an arms dealer. But uh, the one time we saw him kill someone, it was an accident. Um, and he seems to be a pretty good family man. Oh, he wants to steal some of Tony Stark's weapons. Oh, and now guess what? He kind of has legitimate reason because Stark and people like him basically fucked him over in the past. And he's just trying to make a living. But eh, whatever. He'll steal some weapons. He'll sell them. These weapons, the kind of things that we know already exist out there, he'll he'll sell them for his own profit. And if you don't stop him, then he, he gets to do that and Tony doesn't get the weapons. And that's basically the extent of the stakes. So the final oh, I fight... I agree. The stakes should have been bigger, should have been more. Yeah. Again, compare that to in Raimi's first movie, Goblin literally says to Spider-Man, I'm going to slowly torture and murder Mary Jane because of you if you don't stop me now. <laughs> so like that is a very visceral and very imminent and understandable set of stakes, but that just doesn't exist in homecoming. And that is indicative of like the entire movie that just feels very like, uh, compare that to far from home where in far from home, the first of all, the consequences thing happens all the time in Far From Home. Peter Parker constantly in Far From Home makes decisions that are trying to benefit himself personally that then immediately result in everything around him going to shit. Straight down to literally the final act, spoilers, of Far From Home being him choosing to not accept responsibility because he wants to be a regular teenager and have teenager things, thus giving up responsibility to the villain he doesn't realize that, then... So that's literally direct consequence. And then the stakes of that is literally like world shattering where you've got a psychotic in control of not just some weapons, but literally a fleet of Tony Stark satellites that he could truly control the world with. You've got very defined imminent stakes that arise from Peter Parker's terrible decision making that he then has to take responsibility for and fix. That's how you do Spider-Man and Homecoming just doesn't have any of that yeah no i'm not gonna argue with it i you make a lot of good points i still enjoy it because to me it works on a whole it's a i mean you have two great performances we've had two really terrible spider-man movies before this maybe three depending on your views of spider-man 3 i'm not gonna say it's terrible i'm not gonna say it's good um and as i'm since i'm not the biggest spider-man fan good enough is good enough for me 
Because I went into this movie going, uh, I don't really like Spider-Man. I'm kind of Spider-Man out, and I came out of this going, holy shit! I think I like Spider-Man now. I mean, I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that because, like I said, Spider-Man is the most important to me. So, and that's what I've realized. Homecoming made me realize is I just I expect more from Spider-Man, and there's nothing wrong with being a popcorn kind of thing. But that's why I've always said that my favorite. I think Spider-Man should be a television show. He's such a huge character that people want to make him into a movie. And yes. They are great movies of Spider-Man, but he really, I think, would fit better in serialized television, where you can't have that. He's all he's almost always problems are localized, and it really raises question about New York that they have so many supervillains running around. But that's the Marvel yeah. universe. We're not going to go into that. That's why, like, my favorite version of Spider-Man is like the the cartoon spectacular Spider-Man. That and the the recent game, which is so good, I can't even from last year but anyway point is in show or long form form where you can have plenty of that downtime to just have fun and be whimsical or just stop a bank robbery because that is very spider-man but in a movie i feel like you can only do so much of that before you gotta you gotta have something more meaningful again why far from home does it way better but homecoming just never reaches that point also it bothers me. This is just a nitpick. I don't think Spider-Man should have the 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 Tony Stark AI thing in his suit. I yeah, just, it's inappropriate on that one. It's weird. Yeah, and that's just that's a nitpick. I'm not going to say this actually damages the movie or anything, but just as a Spider-Man fan, I'm like, this does not work. <laughs> well, and then I could go on about how they've changed Spider-Man and his financial things, but I'm not the podcast for that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Anyway, but I, I want to make this very clear. I like all the actors in Spider-Man. I like the in home, Spider-Man Homecoming. I, they continue to do a great job in Far From Home. I, I like the, the, the tone. Uh, I like the idea that it's basically supposed to be like a John Hughes-style thing um, because young Peter Parker, he's you know, the kid hero. That works great. It, it's really just all in the plot, all in the story where I am lost. And that's why Far From Home was such a great experience for me because it still was nothing compared to the Sam Raimi films as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I'm a Raimi fanboy. Come at me. I don't care. But uh, Yeah, because people are lining up to fight that one. Apparently, yeah, there are a lot of people who think that uh, Spider-Man, Raimi Spider-Man has this weird reputation online that if you're a fan of Raimi Spider-Man, that you can't be objective about any other Spider-Man because you're just a Raimi well... fanboy. Nope, not going to go there. We're, we're running out of time. Yeah, but my, my point being that that's why I like to illustrate that um, I I MCU does do a good job with Far From Home and the fact that Homecoming failed is just further proof to me. Not failed, it actually succeeded, but failed for me. That's just further proof that my problems with it are more legitimate than they might otherwise have been. Yeah, fair enough. So that pretty much brings us to the end. Hopefully... You like what we have to say, and you don't want to yell at us, yell at us if you want, and I'll handle it. But I am really curious if you have a movie that you just don't get the appeal of, like everyone loves, and you're just like, I, I don't get it. Let us know about that, because that's what I want to hear. Yeah, and if uh, if you want to yell at me specifically, because I don't pay attention to the Twitter stuff, just just tell Ulrich. He'll tell me later, and I'll, I'll, I'll we'll see what happens. You roll your eyes and just go, fucking idiots. Yeah, idiots. and again, if you... Here's a very important thing I want to get across. If you like any of these four movies, I actually envy you. I mean, I, it really only matters for the two movies I dislike, but you get what I mean? Like, I 
don't if you like homecoming or you like avatar that's wonderful i wish i could get that enjoyment out of it i i don't want i don't want you to not like it i i want you to continue like you you should never as a critic i feel like critic look at me and my ego you should never as a critic be seeking to take away someone's enjoyment i think if someone dislikes it you have the uh the moral imperative to be like hey maybe there's a way you could look at it where you would like it because that way you can get more enjoyment out of life but trying to take someone else's enjoyment from something they like is pretty douchey we're doing this episode because we thought it'd be fun and so if you want to say that i'm an asshole or an idiot for not liking homecoming go ahead and you keep on loving it man you do you all right, let's talk suggestions of the week. I've been rewatching that 70s show, which uh, when I was a kid, that was almost all I had because I didn't really have cable. I had Fox, and I watched a lot of it. And so it's like built into my DNA. So it's really cool to go back and watch. And literally, Woundvog was with me, and he was like, oh, so that's where you got that. <laughs> that's something like Eric Foreman did. So, And also, he had never seen it, which amazed me. Really? Yeah, the idea that someone in our age group has not seen that 70s show was mind-boggling. Yeah, that was the shit there for a while. Like, we were, it came out, like, exact right time for us. Hells yeah. So, for anyone who doesn't know, somehow, because apparently that's a thing, that 70s show was just a sitcom, uh, an eight-season sitcom about a, um, a group of friends and their families in 19, from 1976 to 1980. That's it. It is no more complicated than that, but it is like for people who like uh, things like Friends or How I Met Your Mother or things like that. This is just another version of that. It just happened to be a pretty good version of that. You know, I'd say better than both of those. Oh, I agree. I'm just saying that th- tonally, that's the the market we're in in this area. You know? Yeah. No, I, I rewatched it a couple times. I've even found the point where it jumps the shark, and it's not where everyone uh, says it is. End of season six. I <clears> think <throat> we're in agreement there. It's been a while since I've gone back and rewatched, but I think that's... For the record, area. season six is the first season that changed out Lori's actress because the actress who played Lori was uh, having problems with alcohol. And that season is still okay. It's the two seasons after that that are nigh unwatchable. Yeah, I agree. You know, uh, I really anyway, it's a great show. It's uh, all on Netflix. It's really fun to watch because that's my mom's age. You know, she was the age these characters are taking place. So I got to watch it with her. And, you know, is that the way it was? And she's like, yeah, more or less. Yeah, but it's all on Netflix. So if for some reason you uh, haven't seen it um, and you are looking for a new show like Friends, like How I Met Your Mother, like things like this, uh, give it a shot. The first season's like 20-some episodes long, like, you know, regular sitcom. Watch the first few, and if it catches you, then great. That's my suggestion. All right. Uh, mine is kind of interesting. It's a YouTube series called Lost in Adaptation, which is really cool because it's one of the few YouTube channels I've been with since the beginning, and that's kind of cool. Uh, basic rundown of this is every episode, Dominic Noble, now known as The Dom, formerly known as The Dom, but that's a whole other thing, takes a book and compares it to the movie that it was adapted from, breaking it down into multiple categories with skits, and it's a really good show. This is how I've learned the plot of Scott Pilgrim, because I think he did like a three-part series breaking down the various parts of the comics and comparing them to the movies. And it's really good either for if you've seen the book or read the book and seen the movie, if you haven't read the book 
we haven't seen any variations of because it's somewhat spoiler light, but you still get like, oh, this is really interesting. And I know there's a ton of how it's different from the book, but I would argue his format's the most interesting because he actually sprinkles some really interesting sketches in there with it. And I don't know. I've been a huge fan of his since his first one of Starship Troopers. And yeah, it's kind of weird to think that was like five years ago. Was he the one with the Watchmen video you showed me? Yes. That is one okay, I, yeah. you know, that's another great example. His Watchmen one is really good. He's had a really, he did a whole 50, he did the 50 Shades of Grey ones. And power to bless him. his soul for getting it through that. And like, he didn't do one per book he did three per book breaking down multiple aspects of it and again bless his soul i remember correctly he had linkara come on to talk with him about watchmen in the second part of that yes episode. he is one of the former channel awesome producers and he left when the whole change of channel debacle went down we're not talking about that anyway we're not talking about yeah, adaptation no, yeah Boston adaptation great show uh support my patreon check him out uh yeah all right, that means... we're, we're dodging bullets like the Matrix. <laughs> I'm going to take us right to our outro. I'm stealing your lines here. So thank you again for listening. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe. Do all those things that Ulrich normally tells you to do and I'm telling you to do right now that actually help us because, you know, algorithms and internet and stuff like that, he knows more about it than I do. But, um, you know, the more people see us, the more we can grow, the more we can do. And isn't that great? I mean, it's fun for us, and I hope it's fun for you. And uh, whatever platform you're watching us on, Thank you. Ulrich, what platforms are we currently on? We are currently on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Pocket Cast, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. And if you are not subscribed to all of those, shame on you. You should subscribe to all of them because numbers matter to people that exist in far-off countries. Not sure yes. where I was going with that, but you know what I mean. <laughs> mm -hmm. As always, this has been Lord Commander Ulrich. And his shield brother, Axel Wright. Be sure to tune in next time, and as always, stay honorable.